morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning, as was read for us, starting in verse 28 uh, through 31. Uh, We see uh, this great question that's asked to Jesus. Of course, uh, in Mark chapter 12, we are in the Passion Week of Jesus. The Passion Week, this is his last seven days uh, that he will be alive on earth during his ministry. And you remember, he comes into Jerusalem riding that donkey. Uh, He enters into the temple and he overturns the money changers and those who are exchanging animals in the temple. Uh, And really, uh, if you read all of the end of Mark chapter 11 and Mark chapter 12, he's just getting bombarded with question after question from different groups of individuals. Uh, We see the Pharisees asking questions, the Sadducees asking questions, the Herodians The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, they all have these questions for him. Uh, They ask Jesus, such as, you know, by what authority do you do these things? You know, who gives you the right to come into the temple and to drive us out? Uh, The Pharisees, they wanted to know, or they wanted to trick Jesus in in a question. And so they ask him, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And so they ask a question trying to trick him. We got the Sadducees trying to trick him as well uh, within the scriptures. You know, they, they come to Jesus and they ask you know, and they give them the scenario if there was a man who or if there was a woman who had seven husbands and each of them died, you know, who would she be married in with the resurrection uh, during the resurrection? And so we, we see all these groups trying to trick Jesus to get him to stumble. But then we get to verse 28 in Mark chapter 12 and there's a scribe and we're told that he recognized that, you know, he answered all of these things well. And so he asked him and maybe Uh, We don't necessarily know if he was trying to trick Jesus or if he was asking sincerely, but he asked there in verse 28, what command is foremost of all or what is first or what is the greatest of all? Well, when we think of the Old Testament, you know, the commandments in the Old Testament, you know, our minds probably automatically go back to the Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus chapter 20. You know, in those first four, they're really dealing with our relationship with God. You know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not worship idols. Thou shalt not keep my name or don't take my name in vain and, and keep the Sabbath holy. And then those last six of the Ten Commandments are more of our relationship towards each other. Again, honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness or do not covet what your neighbor has. Right? And these ten, of course, are not the extent of the commands we find in the Old Testament, but really they summarize all of them uh, very well. You know, if you were to ask, you know, how many commandments are there in the Old Testament? Well, uh, there's an old, um, you know, historical account that the rabbis counted. And if you look this up, you usually will find that they'll say 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And 248 of those they've they've determined are positive commandments like you shall do this, you shall do that. And uh, 365 of those were negative commandments. You should, you should not do that or don't do that. But Jesus, what he's going to do in, in these verses here that we're studying in Mark chapter 12 is he's going to boil uh, all of those down to the greatest. And he's going to give us those two. In Matthew's account, you know, he, Matthew records this account as well. He says that on these two things depends the whole law and the prophets. All right, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the, the writings of the prophets, all of these things depend on these two commands. And that, of course, is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourselves. You know, we focus so much 
on God's love for us. Right? It's hard for us to understand. We read verses like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Or Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul says, God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's just amazing. It's amazing when we read verses like those. How could someone as perfect and holy as God love a sinner like me? But what we want to talk about this morning is not the love that God has for us, but how we reciprocate, return that love towards him. Of course, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But but here in Mark chapter 12, he's given us a much deeper answer. Again, this is in Matthew chapter 22 and Luke 10 as well. Love God and and love your neighbor. But is Jesus simply saying, uh, love God with all you got? Well, no, because he, he tells us here in these verses, right? To love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You know, I don't think just saying give it all that you've got really gives it justice because uh, Jesus is really breaking down uh, this command for us how to love God. Uh, we can find the same command back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, this is a part of scripture uh, referred to as the Shema uh, that the, the Jews read every single day. Right? And there, uh, God tells them that they are to love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. Again, why? Why are these these different components to this command? You know, really, the key is balance, and that's what we want to talk about here this morning. You know, uh, that we just don't want to focus on one of these aspects, uh, but we want to have balance in all of these. So let's talk about these a little bit more deeper this morning. So again, he tells us there that the foremost command, the greatest command, you shall love the Lord your God with. He begins with all your heart. Right. What does it mean to love uh, your God with all your heart? That's the passion, the emotional side of things. Right? God does not want us to go through life uh, lifelessly, uh, ritualistically uh, giving worship to God. You know, this was the problem with uh, those in the Old Testament, uh, specifically in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet. It's the last book we have there. And we see that problem right? because uh, God is... Saying through the prophet Malachi, when you come to worship me, you're bringing the lame, you're bringing the blind, you're bringing the sick animals to sacrifice. You wouldn't offer those to your governor or the people that you really cared about, but you're bringing those things to me. Your, your, your passion, your emotion in your worship to me is lifeless. You know, we can get so caught up in being right, you know, being right. That, that we lose focus of the heart of the matter. Now, again, I'm not diminishing obedience at all. Uh, Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, uh, to obey is better to sacri- than sacrifice. But again, there needs to be a balance between what is right and loving what is right. right? To have a heart that is broken when wrong is done. You know, we know individuals when something good happens to them, you know, people who we love and care about, when something good happens for them, you know, we're right there with them, right? We're enjoying those things right there with them. But when someone that we love hurts or they're going through troubles, you know, we cry because they cry. Love God with all your heart. You know, we, we often remember in Luke chapter 15, 
uh, about the story of the prodigal son. But really, this is, a, this is a parable about not just one brother, but two brothers. Right? The prodigal son, we, we know at first because he takes his inheritance. He goes and lives off in a different land. Uh, and he squanders his living uh, by, with loose living. And because of that, this great famine comes in the land. And you know, he has nothing. He's desperate. And so he comes back home. And there's this great reunion between him and the father. And that's what we focus on in that parable. But again, there's another brother uh, who we meet towards the end of that parable that we, that we need to focus on here this morning. Because this other brother, the older brother, uh, we're told, starting in verse 25, you know, he hears this music, the celebration going on. And so he wonders while he's out in the field, what's going on? And so he goes and he talks to one of the fellow servants, what's going on? And he explains that your brother has come back. Your father has killed the fatted calf and we're having a celebration uh, because he is back and he is home. And what was the older brother's response to that? He was angry. He was upset. He was not willing to go into that celebration. In verse 29, it says, But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. See, the point we want to make here this morning about the older brother was the older brother was obedient. Right? He followed his father's commands to a T, but his heart was void of compassion. You know, he's an example of someone who heartlessly kept the commandments, but he had no emotion. He had no passion for the love of his father. You know, he says to him in the following verses, the father says, you could have been enjoying these things as well, but you chose not to. So let us ask this question this morning. When is the last time you truly, truly had a sense of happiness and joy because you were a disciple of Jesus? Or when's the last time you've had heartbreak because you were a disciple of Jesus? You know, do you have to go all the way back to maybe your baptism to, to when you were truly excited? You know, is, is that all that you can think of? See, when we love God with all our heart, you know, there are going to be times of joyousness, right? The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, we're told that after he was baptized, became a Christian, he went away rejoicing, right? There's that emotional part to it. But there are also times where we're going to have tears, right? Just because of the connection we have with God. Love God with all your heart. He also says, love God with all your soul. You know, to love God with all your soul, it's pretty close to loving God with all your heart. But there's some subtle differences to that. You know, the word soul here is often translated in other passages as life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, you know, God, or Jesus said, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or, or drink. We could very well translate that word. Do not be worried about your soul. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That one lay down his soul for his friends. What Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 12 is, Love God with all your life, with all your soul. You know, no matter what road you're on, no matter what state you're in, no matter what condition, continue to love him. You know, this is a love so deep that you are willing to give up everything and anything to have it. You know, everything else is secondary in this life, 
right? Uh, uh, possessions, jobs, family. You know, and unfortunately, we, we know that uh, many will have these things turned around backwards. You know, because we're willing to lay down our life for our jobs, uh, laying down our lives for our friends, our family, our possessions. And we'll take a back seat for those, right? We'll, we'll rearrange our schedules for our family. We'll put others first. But Jesus says, why not me? Why not God? Jesus says to love him so much, you put him first. You lay down your life for him like you would for your children or your spouse. And we, again, ask ourselves this morning, when was the last time we purposely put the mission of the church before our own lives, before our own schedules, that we sacrificed something? You know, we gave up something to be a part of the work of the church with all my soul. Right? Uh, I, I'm living this life. I'm uh, staying on the, the straight and narrow path. And nothing's going to deter me to go to the right or to the left. Love God with all your soul. Thirdly, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind. You know, if we went back to that scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where Jesus is pulling this from, uh, mind is not reference. He just, says, uh, he just says your heart, soul, and strength. And so right here, Jesus is adding to that commandment for us. Uh, Love God with all your mind. Well, what does it mean to love God with all your mind? You know, there's a lot of uh, times where, you know, we could make a grave mistake when we think that religion or our faith is, is about things that are unreasonable, right? That, that we're taking blind leaps in the dark. We're hoping for the best. You know, we're being committed to something for which there's no evidence. There's no rationality or reason, But what did the apostles teach us over and over again in the scriptures? See, that we believe not because there is no evidence, but we believe because of the evidence. Right. Like like the empty tomb that we studied a few weeks ago in our Bible classes. You know, all of the verified witnesses of that empty tomb, all of the, the, the witnesses, the writers of scripture who verified these accounts. We know that truth exists. In a world where it's seeming like, it seems like truth is fading, uh, truth exists. It matters. You know, we understand that as students. We understand that it matters what we put on the test. Right? If we got a question in front of us, a two plus two, and we answer five, you know, it matters. It, uh, that, uh, you know, we can't say that and be correct. Right? That's just, uh, that's just false. And so absolute truth matters. You know, it matters wherever we go in this life, whatever we're doing, right? We only put 10 hours in the job. Uh, we can't expect to be paid for 40 hours a week. Right? We, we can't say we worked 40 hours a week when we only put in 10 hours. It matters. The truth matters. You know, and we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Right? He says, reject the bad and hold on to the truth. John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said I, or that you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? Again, the truth is knowable and we need to use our minds uh, to do those things, to love God with all our mind. You know, Christians, especially today, you know, we, we get a bad rap uh, with the world, intellectually speaking. Right? Uh, uh, the world looks at Christianity as old fashioned, as um, is not as intelligent as they are. 
But that's not how uh, we, we see the, the inspired writers of the Bible uh, promote Christianity. Uh, in Romans uh, chapter 12, for instance, starting in verse 1, notice what Paul says here. Uh, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Focus in on that part where Paul talks about the renewing of your mind. Right? God gave you a brain. Right? So, so we need to use that to love God with all our mind. You know, the, the world wants to tell us how to dress. You know, the world wants to tell us how to speak. You know, use foul language. Use cursing. The world wants us uh, to tell us how to live. But Jesus uh, says here, love God with all your mind. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but use your mind to be transformed by the renewing of that mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures here in 2 Corinthians. Specifically, this first one here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 5, again, notice what Paul says about being a Christian thinker. He says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Right, Paul says here, in essence, you know, if someone brings a doctrine to you and it's a false doctrine, as Christian thinkers, we need to be able to destroy those arguments, you know, we, we need to be able to put those away, to uh, look at them, to, to captivate, he says, take every thought captive, uh, to go through and wrestle with that, what, what they said, and does that match with the scriptures? Again, to love God with all our minds is to put in time, is to wrestle with difficult concepts. And then finally in this verse, he tells us that we need to love God with all our strength. And really, uh, what he's telling us here, he's giving us a synonym for power, right? Our energy as Christians, you know, we exhaust ourselves in life in many, many different ways other than the church. You know, Jesus says, exhaust yourself loving me. You know, we, again, we stay late in the office. We stay late at the ballparks. We stay late doing our hobbies. And then we come home for the day and we're just dead tired and we're spent. You know, we have no time to, you know, put in some Bible study, reading the scriptures, doing our own devotionals, praying. You know, we're just spent. But again, notice here in 2 Corinthians, this time in chapter 12, verse 15. You know, Paul often said in his writings, you know, be imitators of me. Just as I am of Christ. You know, follow me just as I'm following Christ. Well, notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15 in particular. He says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. Paul says, I am willing to spend and be spent for you, for your souls. I love God so much that I am willing to be worn out for his kingdom. You know, we talked about these verses a week ago or so. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight, where Paul says, you know, I am being offered as a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. Uh, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I finished the race. Right. Paul said that uh, this offering of my life is like a drink offering and I am dumping it all out for you, God. Every single drop. 
I've given everything I've got in your service. I ran hard. I finished the race. You know, I don't know if there's some of you this, here this morning who run marathons, right? Maybe a half marathon or a full marathon. You know, I've never had the opportunity to do that. But you, when you watch those uh, men and women do those races, you know, what usually happens towards the end of the race when they cross the finish line? You know, they fall to the ground. They're tired. And, you know, people have to come and basically scoop them up and get them back on their feet because they gave everything they got. And that's, again, the imagery that we need to keep in our our minds of loving God with all our strength. Again, there is this balance that we need to keep in mind when, uh, when we follow this command to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then notice as he gives us this second one, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, he is pulling this from the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 19 in particular. Leviticus chapter 19. Verses 17 through 18. Actually, if we go all the way back to verse 9, you know, Moses, through uh, God's inspiration, uh, is writing these things. And he says, you shall not do this. You shall not do that. You shall not do this. And then we get to verse uh, 17. And Moses writes, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, this is a serious matter that, uh, that God is speaking to the children of Israel uh, about here, uh, that you can't simply pay a lip service, if you will, and say, I love my neighbor, but you can't even have hatred for them in your heart. You should not... You should not hate your brother in your heart, but he says, rather love them as yourselves. We know that this takes work. There's a story, uh, again, uh, an ancient story of a couple of rabbis uh, who get visited by this man. This man was a Gentile. He was a stranger to uh, Judaism. And he comes and visits uh, a rabbi, and he has a question for him. He says, teach me the Torah while I stand on one foot. Of course, the Torah was their uh, religious book of the day. It wasn't inspired, uh, but it was their religious teachings and binding um, laws that they had. And so this man, he first comes to Rabbi Shammai. He comes to Rabbi Shammai and he asks him this request. Teach me the Torah while I stand on this one foot. Rabbi Shammai picked up a piece of lumber that was near him and whacked the guy on the back of the head and told him to get out of here. Right? That, that was a ridiculous uh, request. But then he goes to Rabbi Hillel, and he asks the same question. Teach me the Torah while I stand on this one foot. And so uh, Hillel, uh, maybe not wanting to get whacked with that stick, uh, he, he answers him and says, That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. Now go and learn it. Well, what's the point of this, this story, this illustration? The point is, is that man... Uh, who came and asked that question, he wanted a quick and simple answer uh, to their laws, to uh, you know, what governed them. He didn't want to put the work in uh, to uh, follow this, uh, this, uh, this religion. You know, we remember the Good Samaritan, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan, that scribe. Another scribe comes to ask Jesus, you know, who is my brother? And what does Jesus respond? Everyone is your neighbor. In Matthew chapter 5, 
uh, we know Jesus really focuses on that when he's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, love your enemies, he says. Pray for them. You know, that's a tough command, is it not? To pray for those who persecute you. Uh, pray for those who, who oppose you. But again, the teaching of Jesus is that we should not want to see a single soul be lost. Right? We, want, we want to pray for them to hear the gospel. We want to pray that they will, their hearts will be softened and respond to the gospel. And we pray that they will re- repent and embrace Jesus in this life. But you know, part of uh, loving your neighbor, as we just read here in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse 17, is reproving your neighbor. Uh, the ESV, I like the ESV's translation, it says to reason frankly with them. You know, the, the word, and maybe we should have started off this lesson defining the word love because the world has a much different view of love than the Bible. You know, the world says love is love, right? Or, or the world says uh, you need to accept me, you need to tolerate me, and if you don't do that, that's not love, right? But, but what does scripture say about love? Love is something that we want the best for other individuals. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And so the command uh, to love thy neighbor includes a love that's going to share the truth with them. Again, to reprove them, as it's put in Leviticus. We know it's one thing to approach someone that maybe we don't know very well, and maybe to present the gospel to them. You know, maybe it's a little bit easier. But it's a whole other thing to go to someone that we have a long-standing relationship with and show them what the truth says about the way that they're living. You know, Jesus, the one who loves people perfectly, you know, he had to do this over and over again. You know, he had to expose the sin in their lives, the things that they were doing wrong, because he loved them. In Mark chapter 12, and we talked about this briefly, about the Sadducees coming to Jesus and asking you know, that question to try and trap him about you know, whose husband and wife would, uh, you know, would she be in the resurrection. Well, notice what Jesus responded to her in Mark chapter, or to them in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 24. He said, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? Right? Jesus had to be blunt with them. Uh, you don't understand the scriptures. You are greatly mistaken. Uh, but he was doing that because he loved them, right? Because he wanted them to change their ways. This love, uh, this neighborly type of love will cause us to be concerned spiritually about one another in this life. Whether it's the provoking one another to love and good works like we're doing here this morning as we assemble. Or restoring those who have been overtaken in their trespasses. Or, or esteeming others as better than ourselves. Or as Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul puts it, we need to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Love thy neighbor. You know, there is no other commandments, Jesus says, that are greater than these. This morning as we conclude this lesson, if you're still in Mark chapter 12, notice with me as Jesus uh, concludes his thoughts to this scribe. Look at it again, verses 32 through 34. Jesus again gives him the answer. In verse 32, the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34 
When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What was Jesus saying to him there? You know, he was saying, uh, I guess in a soft and, and gentle way that, friend, you're still lost. You're still lost in your sins. You are not far from the kingdom. You answered well. But to be in the kingdom, we, we must simply uh, be more than simply being approval or having approval of Jesus' teaching. But we must submit our entire lives to his authority, to his person. You know, we can know the right answers. We can know that to become a Christian, that we need to hear the words of God, hear God's word, believe Jesus is the Son of God, to repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, we can know those right answers, but it's another thing to live those things out in our lives, to accept those things. And giving God a few moments of worship throughout the week, and maybe ignoring him the rest of the time, Jesus is saying here in these verses, that's unacceptable. I want all your heart. I want all your soul. I want all your mind. I want all your strength. What would Jesus say to us right now if he was here with us this morning as he examines our hearts? Would he say you're close? Would he say you have some good answers? You're not far from the kingdom? Are we following the greatest commands? Again, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourselves. You know, this lesson this morning, I want to leave you with a reflection on our lives to look at them and not just, you know, ask, can I do better? But will I do better? And this morning, if you're here with us this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, again, we would love the opportunity to sit down and study with you what the scriptures say to become a Christian. Again, God's word tells us to hear the word of God, believe Jesus is the son of God, to repent of our sins, confess him as Lord before man and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, we will live a faithful life for him. God will add you to his church. And and we would love the opportunity to help you with that this morning. Or if you're here with us this morning and you're a member here or a member of the Lord's Church and you need the prayers of this congregation, you need the encouragement of this congregation, uh, if you have any need to be made known here this morning, again, we would love the opportunity to help you and to uh, see to it that that the brothers and sisters here can uh, help you with your requests. Together we stand and sing this song of invitation.